Peter, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading tonight is from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. The words will be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your own copy of God's Word. It reads, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? And would you give us today, this day, our daily bread? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So tonight, we are landing the plane on our series as we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer pattern. It's a beautiful thing that the Lord has not left us to our own devices to figure out how it is that we should pray to God. It's no small thing to be able to pray to God. It's actually a very significant thing, a very weighty thing, And a very beautiful thing, but we don't have to try to figure out what kind of things, please Lord, and being able to talk to him. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he tells his disciples, pray then like this. And he gives them the prayer that I just prayed for us. And every week we've been going through line by line looking at this particular prayer because in it is a pattern for us. It gives us words and words like it. And the thing about it is, each one of these lines, it wasn't the first time that it came right here, but as the disciples were given these words, it would have called to mind other things that they had heard about in the Old Testament and other things they had heard about earlier in the ministry of Jesus, and tonight's is no different. So tonight we come to the last line of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I feel like the best way for us to be able to understand How it is we can pray, God, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. It's to actually go back two chapters within this same book. 
into Matthew chapter 4 and to actually look at a time where Jesus was doing and embodying the very thing that this line in the prayer is saying. It's when Jesus was in the midst of the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan himself. So we're going to go back, Matthew chapter 4, and there's going to be some tension in the wilderness right here. Jesus, verse 1, follow along with me in Matthew chapter 4 that Ben read for us. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, well, let's stop right there. What, what happened immediately before this? Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Not as a baptism for the remission of sins, but he was filling, fulfilling Israel and fulfilling for us the requirements. Walking in that way. He was identifying with us. And as he is there in the waters, he comes up out. The scriptures say that the heavens are torn open. The Spirit of God descends like a dove and there's a voice that says, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There is a word about Jesus' identity spoken over him that other people can overhear. And immediately after this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And you see, a lot of times we think that, okay, if I'm going to be in the very center of God's will, then that's going to be like where peace and prosperity abound, right? That nothing is going to go wrong, that everything's going to be going my way, that I'm going to be flying high on life. But Scripture says right here that Jesus, who had just heard a voice from heaven, I'd love to hear that, right? A lot of times we were just like, I just want to hear a voice from heaven. I just need to be able to hear that. We have God in his word, but we're like, I need the voice. And we are like, okay, well, if I hear that, if I'm going to be walking, I'm going to be full of the spirit, then I'm going to be going, I'm going to be in the very center of God's will, and everything's going to be peachy. Like, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be smooth. But Jesus, he is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But this leaves us with more questions, doesn't it? I mean, is this right? Like, how does this fit with the prayer that we're supposed to be praying? I thought we were supposed to be praying, lead us not into temptation. And here the spirit of God is leading him into temptation? Like, what is going on right here? I mean, what are you pushing, Blake? I mean, you, some of you might be thinking ahead. Like, how does this job with James chapter 1, verse 13, where it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But the Holy Spirit is leading him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I mean, do you feel that tension? I mean, you could cut it with a knife. And I don't despise that tension. I love it. I feel like when we start to live here in the tension, we, we are stretched. We grow. We start to see things in a new light. So I'm glad, like, if you asked all these questions. Because what we need to do is we need to clarify a distinction. We need to clarify a distinction, a strong distinction between tempting and testing. A strong distinction between tempting and testing. Not to nerd out on you, but like when you slow down and you look at these texts, Matthew 6 is prayer, Matthew 4 is story, the same word, it's the same Greek word that is translated tempt and test. It's the same word in the Greek. The difference is who's behind it. It makes all of the difference in the world. In the Greek, it's equally to tempt and to test, but it all has to do with who's behind it. And just as we saw in James 1.14, it says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, to tempt is to lure away, kind of like a fishing term you might have heard before. That Satan is, he is dangling this out in front of us, luring, oh, shiny, right? Or I'm going to go, I'm going to chase after this. Or it's made to look like something else that we would want to naturally gravitate towards. But this temptation, it's meant to trip us up, to ensnare us, to fuel the fire for accusation. And where does 
Scripture say that this temptation comes from? Not from God, but from Satan using our evil desires. Each person is tempted when they are lured away and enticed by their own desires. So we have an understanding of what tempting and temptation is, but what about testing? I mean, is there really a difference? I mean, we go back, we look to God in the Old Testament in Genesis 22 where he tests Abraham with respect to his son Isaac, right? Where in the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 he reflects on this episode that happens in Genesis 22 and he says, by faith Abraham when he was tested by God offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. That right here, we can see God, he doesn't tempt, meaning he doesn't put us in situations to set us up for failure. But God, he tests us. To test is to bring closer, that ultimately leads to life. Testing is meant to set us up, to free us, to fuel the fire for promise. And this testing comes from God himself. And so there, as we put both of these side by side, I want you to be able to see this, that Satan, he tempts to trip us up and lead us astray. But God tests to build us up and lead to himself. The difference is all in who's behind it. That when we, in these situations, Satan can use them to trip us up and to lead us further into darkness, or God, in using these, can build us up and lead us into light, can lead us closer to himself. When he saves... When God saves, we are not put in a glass display case, right? We are are not put up for someone else to admire or for nothing to ever touch the cares or concerns of this world, but we are battle ready. We are ready for confrontation. You see, there was a time, uh, the week leading up to my wedding was one of the funnest weeks of my life. It was so great. So my wife and I, uh, we both got married. We got married the week after she graduated from college. And so we, uh, like, we got done. She graduated, and we had that week in between. And as we were getting ready, like, we got married at a small island in South Carolina. And as we were over there, uh, my parents, because we lived here in Birmingham, my parents, we made kind of a vacation thing out of it the week before. My dad rented this beach house, me and all my groomsmen. We went, we took it over. We had a bunch of fun hanging out with my wife's bridesmaids. I mean, we just had a great time hanging out. That entire week. I mean, we went over to, into Charleston, did like a putt-putt tournament, played bocce ball on the beach. But I'm telling you, our Gulf beaches, y'all, I mean, there ain't nothing like it. I mean, it was fun over there and everything in South Carolina for a little while, but I was ready to get back to the Gulf. But we were over there. We had a great time. And as we were the night before the wedding, uh, my, my groomsmen surrounded me. They were praying for me. They were speaking a lot of life and encouragement over me. I was grateful for the community that God had gifted to me. But then uh, they told me to close my eyes. And they tell me that they had pulled all of their money, and we were a bunch of broke college students at the time, y'all. And they had saved, they had skipped out on Starbucks. And uh, Cole, would you mind go ahead bringing it over here real quick, ma'am? So they tell me to close my eyes, and then they bring out this guy right here. And you see, I pride myself in being kind of a A a generalist in a lot of ways. I mean, I can talk about with the NBA free agency, food documentaries on Netflix, like anything like that, or fantasy literature. 
And I tell you, they brought out Anduril, flame of the west, forged from the shards of Narsal, coming straight from Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, the last in the great Tolkien trilogy. And I am just dumbstruck at how amazing this thing is. And they're like, go ahead, take it out. And so I go, you know, like this thing is legit. And I'm over here. Bree, stop taking pictures. And I'm over here, and I am just enamored. And so, you know, I start to do the whole thing, and they're like, go ahead, touch the edge of it, but not too much. It's battle ready. And I was like, what? Like, this thing is battle ready? And so they're like, so this is part one of your present, but part two is over here. And then next they bring out eight-gallon jugs of water and three watermelons. And we have real-life fruit ninja and they say let's test it out and so we're over there just hacking away like going through and it's like a hot knife through butter and we're just going to town on the back deck of the like this wasn't in the airbnb agreement and so like we're going over here and we are just slicing and dicing up all of this fruit and these gallon jugs of water and as we were doing that me and we were passing it around we were all having so much fun I mean, the things that guys do the night before they get married, right? And so I'm going over here, and we are testing this bad boy because it was battle ready. It wasn't meant just to be hanging up on a wall mount as much as I totally did that in my first office. It kind of threatened my coworker, so I took it home. But it's one of those things that we have something that has been gifted to us that isn't meant, Cole, if I could give this back to you, I'm not going to preach the whole time with this in my hand as much as I totally could, and I feel so powerful. But we have something that is not meant to be hung up on the wall, that's meant to be kept in a display case, but we have something that has been gifted to us, an identity directly from the Lord that is meant to be tested out. And Jesus, he is being led by the Spirit. He was taken into the wilderness to test it out. The Holy Spirit was leading him in this situation. And God and the devil... God was testing him while Satan tried to tempt him. Because remember, it's the same word that's happening here. To show us in the world at the same time that Jesus, he was the real deal. That he was the one spoken about beforehand and that he was indeed true. That Jesus being tested, he shows us that there is a way out. The Apostle Paul would pick up on this in 1 Corinthians 10.13 where he says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So let's look at the way out. Satan comes to him with three temptations. And I believe wrapped up in these three temptations envelop all of the temptations that we could feel on a macro scale. So the first temptation is a temptation of provision. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And the tempter, that is Satan, came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So how does Satan begin his tempting? By questioning what the Lord What God the Father had just spoken to him. Matthew chapter 3, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan coming over here saying, well, if you're the son of God. You see, that's how a lot of times when Satan comes with the temptation that he brings. It's getting us to question 
did God really say? It's what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? Did God really say that you couldn't eat of this tree? Did God really say that you would die? If you are the son of God, then make these stones become bread. And a lot of you here tonight, you've probably received strong, very clear words about your, the, your identity from the Lord. But maybe you're here tonight, you feel attacked, you feel abandoned, you feel in question. Like everything's up for grabs about what he said to you. These thoughts and feelings, they're the heart of the temptations that Jesus felt. And that he, like, hear me very clearly, the fact that you are undergoing these temptations that you are going through this, it does not invalidate your experience or the truth that you have received. It might actually be what confirms it. That you, as you are walking through this, it might not mean that you are in all the wrong places, but it might mean that you are exactly where God wants you to be. And it might be that you are able to reimagine this as an opportunity, not for inevitable failure, but as an opportunity to glorify Jesus. That you, right here, you might... And that's the thing, y'all. I have college students come to me all the time being like, hey, I feel like I'm constantly being tempted with this and I feel guilty. You know, temptation. Jesus was without sin. He, Hebrews 4.15 says that he was like us in every... He was tempted in every way as we were, and yet he was without sin. That these temptations, as they come to us, as long as we do not act on them, that we have not bridged into sin yet. Then a lot of times students will come to me feeling guilty that they are assailed with these temptations over and over again. They're like, I don't want this. This is constantly coming up again and again, a thorn in my side. That we can use these not as an opportunity for inevitable failure, but as an opportunity to turn around and say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. That right here, Jesus, he is able to sympathize with us. He has undergone all that we go through, the temptations and the suffering. We know he identifies with us because he identified with Israel. Jesus is reenacting the story of Israel in a microcosm. Because what happens with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament? Well, they are delivered out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the waters. Well, what happens? Jesus, he goes out and he comes through the water. What happens after Israel goes out of the Red Sea? They go into the wilderness. What happens after Jesus comes up out of the water? He's led into the wilderness. How long was Israel in the wilderness? For 40 years. How long was Jesus in the wilderness? For 40 days. And as he is right here, he is stepping in the place. And where Israel failed, Jesus is going to pass the test. Israel grumbled and complained. They didn't trust God that he would provide. And Satan is telling Jesus, you don't need the provision of God. You can do this yourself. Command these stones to become bread. And Satan here is whispering a core lie that maybe a lot of you feel in your temptations. God won't provide. God doesn't care. Reach out. Just grab this substitute. Grab what is less than what he has for you. I mean, they're your appetites, after all. They're only natural. It's, who am I to say that it's wrong? Just go out and take it. But how does Jesus answer? With a quote from Deuteronomy. If that doesn't compel us to read our Old Testament, it's like, I don't know what does. Like he's going up right here with a quote from Deuteronomy 8.3. Scripture right here. Jesus, he had been fasting in verse 2. He had been fasting from food, but he had been feasting on the word of God. And as he's going right here, that is the only way he's able to stand up against the power and the schemes of the devil right here. And he is coming up and he is fighting with the offensive weapon that God has gifted to us. And he is saying that I will remember the provision and the presence of God. Ding, ding. 
End of round one, Jesus won, Satan zero. So Satan tries to step it up a notch. We see the second temptation is a temptation of presence. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, follow him along. Then the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, sound familiar? Throw yourself down, for it is written. He's starting to use Jesus' words back at him. It, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So how does Satan start this temptation? Again, by trying to get Jesus to question his identity, question the word that God the Father had given to him. You see, Satan isn't very creative, but he's persistent, right? And he's coming right here, and he's fighting dirty, y'all. He's using the language of Scripture. He's quoting Psalm 91 at the eternal Son of God. And he's twisting the words of God again and saying again, prove it. And what this shows me is something that we see all throughout the course of church history. Satan knows his Bible. Every heretic, every false teacher within the church has a list of scriptures behind the things that they're saying. You can cherry pick virtually anything in the Bible to make, you think, make it say what you want it to say. Make it to validate anything that you want it to validate. It can create a God that is actually in your own image rather than the one that he has revealed. And as we come and as we start to see that he is twisting the word of God, saying improve it, Satan here is speaking to a core lie that maybe a lot of you feel in your temptations. God isn't even there. And that if you actually even do believe that he's there, then you need to force his hand to get him to do anything, like jump off the pinnacle of his temple. That you're going to have to act out. That you believe in his presence, then prove his presence. But Jesus, he clings to the words of his father. And even though he's in the wilderness, he is hungry, he's being assaulted with lies, he clings to his father. And how does Jesus answer? With another quote from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus sees what Satan is doing. He's trying to get him to question the presence of God. And he wants to force Jesus by wrongly testing him. But rather than reversing the order, Jesus doesn't test God. But rather, he plunges on through the testing, through the temptation. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Ding, ding. End of round two, Jesus two, Satan zero. And so now we come to the last temptation, the temptation of power. Follow along in verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give you if you just fall down and you worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So how does Satan start this temptation? Well, he mixes it up a little bit, finally. As he's coming, he questions Jesus about his father, which is ultimately questioning him. He takes him up to a very high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. You see, going toe-to-toe with him rabbi style wasn't working. And now he's going to try to dazzle him. He's going to try to wine and dine the eternal son of God. He's going to try to show him all of the kingdoms of the world. And let's just pause for a moment. I mean, this is why Jesus came, isn't it? For the kingdom of God. For the kingdom. Like, and so Satan says he's going to give this to him? Well, you think the thing about it is Satan is about to offer Jesus a counterfeit. You see, Satan, he's misunderstanding the kingdom. He thinks that it's geographic, that it's all about borders and lines between 
countries. But Jesus, he came for a kingdom of people. But if he's going to come for a kingdom of people, then he knows that there's going to be the bloody and messy work of redemption that's involved. And that if he's going to come and if he is going to go for this kingdom, there will be his death. So what core lie is Satan whispering here in Jesus' ear? Well, he's saying this. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You can do this another way. You can have what you want. You can do it my way. Jesus, he doesn't flinch. And in an act of victory and solidarity over temptation, he looks at Satan and he says, Be gone, Satan. You will not steal the glory from my father. You will not siphon off from his kingdom. You will not rob him of his glory, of my glory. There is suffering involved. There will be pain, but I will worshipfully lay my life down. And he says all of this with, wouldn't you know it, another quote from Deuteronomy. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Jesus will serve through suffering. And Jesus in His suffering will bring us back to God. Because you see, Jesus, He would suffer. He would know what loss is in the death of His friend. He would know suffering in the betrayal and the abandonment by His closest friends and His disciples. He would know loss and suffering as he was nailed to a Roman cross. He would know this suffering, but he, as he was buried, as he was crucified for our sins, as he bled for us and as he was buried, he rose victorious over death and secured with his resurrection our eternal place by his side in the kingdom. As he is ever making all things new. This was at the forefront of his mind. This was why he came. And he would not look to the right or to the left. But he would, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. He stands strong in the shadow of it. And he stands strong right here against the devil. So what happens next? The devil left him. That's what... Matthew 4 says, Jesus passed the test. Jesus broke the cycle of temptation that we always seem to feel. He is trustworthy. We talk a lot about in his death and his resurrection, but he was trustworthy in his life and ministry, living the life that you and I could not live and that we had not lived. So what happens for us? You see, if we are so united with Christ, then we receive his obedience as our obedience. His righteousness as our righteousness. We look to him as our older brother to imitate, but we don't do that first. We see that his, he clothes us in his righteousness alone. And now we live into that. And based off his three, three temptations, which I firmly believe contain all the temptations we could ever face, we have three encouragements as we live here on earth and as we go through temptations from the enemy. This is the first. Remember that God has provided and will provide. God is looking for opportunities for us to increase our confidence in Him. You don't have to look for substitutes. You don't have to look for counterfeits. You don't have, you are not your appetites, your cravings, your predispositions. God will give you what you need. The second, remember that God is present in your despair, in your loneliness, 
in your desire for approval, look to him, not your circumstances. He will not forsake you in your temptations. And you don't have to act out to force his hand. You don't have to do other things for other people to find a place to belong. You belong to him and with him. And number three, remember that God has the power to help you in the midst of the temptation and in the midst of the testing. He is our help. That as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, that he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He will always make a way out. You don't have to try to build your own little kingdom. You don't have to try to accumulate for yourself. You can do things his way and for his glory. And remember this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you now have the ability to say no to sin. That sometimes we get lulled into thinking that whenever those times of heightened temptation come, uh, I really appreciated the way that I heard a pastor put it one time. I'm not really one for acronyms, but this one was super helpful. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. It, it was an acronym to let us know that we need to be hyper aware because these seem to be times in human experience when Satan capitalizes and tempts us. It, the acronym was HALT, H-A-L-T. Whenever we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Whenever we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, those seem to be times when the enemy is coming and where he seeks to capitalize on top of what's going on and where he tries to lure us away. Where it's playing on appetites maybe that we have or whether we're trying to cope from stressful circumstances without and within. That it's in those particular times that we sometimes think, well, goodness, it's just going to be one of those times that temptation's here. I'm going to fight it for a little while. I'm going to give in eventually, so I might as well go ahead and give in now and then go ahead and ask for forgiveness. But if that is our disposition, if that is our thought process, it is foreign to the Scriptures. That James 4 verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That yes, it's going to take time and we maybe haven't resisted the point of shedding blood and we're going to resist and we're going to resist and it's not going to be like we're trying to do it in our own strength. I'm going to pull myself up with my bootstraps. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to do this and do that. But rather we are going to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And as we look to Jesus, then we ask for him to enlarge our hearts Then the problems and the temptations and the things that would seek to trip us up will become a lot less weighty in our hearts and our minds. As we, going through this, we don't have to shrink back, but we can welcome these times as an opportunity. We don't have to dread. It doesn't have to be an inevitable give-in. And so I ask you this, what if we reimagined and we started looking at these temptations as an opportunity to say no to sin and yes to Jesus? That later this week, when that time of temptation comes, later this semester, when you go back home for the holidays, or maybe even tonight when you get back to your dorm room or your apartment or your house, and that time of temptation comes, and it's not something that we have to shrink back from, it's not something that we have to roll our eyes out again, but we say, all right, we got an opportunity here. 
This is an opportunity that Satan, he's going to attempt, he's going to attempt to tempt me, to trip me up, to lead me further away, to put me into darkness. But God, he can use this situation. It's an opportunity for me to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. And he wants to build me up. He wants to bring me closer to him. And he wants me to walk in the light as he is in the light. I get to say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. This is reaffirming. This reorientation shows us that it is not something to be anxious about, but rather something to test out. That truly, if God has made you new, that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. It's not meant to be put in a display case or hung up on a wall or stay nice and tidy. It's meant to be used. It's meant to be tested out. We can pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because he withstood the temptation. Because he has delivered us from the evil and the evil one. Indeed, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So remember this week, if the times of tempting, if the times of testing come, You don't have to inevitably give in if you are in Jesus. Or if you don't follow Jesus and you're saying, hey, I'm caught in this cycle. I'm caught in this brokenness. I don't have really the right words or language to be able to express it, but I'm caught up in something that I do not want to be a part of. Jesus can help. Jesus can be your strength. Because Jesus is the one who walked before us and who made a way. So he doesn't lead us into temptation. He leads us into testing. And he has delivered us from evil. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would strengthen us tonight. That lies that the enemy would seek to speak, maybe very loudly or very sweetly and softly, God, that they would be exposed for what they are and that the truth would ring loud and clear. Father, I pray for those that have been following you for a while tonight and who have fallen into patterns that they know don't honor you. God, I pray that you would remind them of the victory that is already theirs in Jesus. That you would help them to be able to walk in that. Father, for those who are very actively struggling, God, I pray that you would encourage them to know that they will not be tempted beyond what they can bear, but that there will be a way out. God, increase in all of us a desire, a passion, an unceasing hunger for your word. And when we use it as our offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit against the evil one. And Father, for the one that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would draw to yourself as they hear of the one who has conquered sin, death, and the grave, God, that they would follow, that they would leave behind sin, dead-end ways of living, and they would find life and light and love in following the one who has given all those to us. We look to you, we need you, and we want you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. 
If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following Him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.